What up, y'all? El Nino Speaks is back, and today I have the great pleasure of hosting Pete Quinones. What's going on with you, man? Not much, man. What's happening? Oh, just the same old, same old trying to get by in Clown World USA. <laughs> now, I imagine a good portion of my audience is aware of your work, but for those who are uninformed, could you tell them more about yourself? Yeah, my name is Piquinones. I'm the host of the Piquinones show. It used to be called Free Man Beyond the Wall. Jose was on many times, yep. has been on many times. Um, I have a substack called By Any Memes Necessary. It's at pete'ssubstack.com. And I am the also the executive producer uh, and writer of The Monopoly on Violence, which is a documentary on Amazon Prime and working on a new documentary in the process of it um in the process of editing and adding adding music narration everything almost there called over policed it'll look it will look at the history of policing the economics of policing and just exactly why the way policing is done in the united states does not work great stuff yeah i i can attest to your work and this puts some things in perspective because I remember when I first appeared on your show, this was like around 2017, 2018, you were definitely like more of like a conventional libertarian slash anarcho-capitalist. And you've definitely have gone through a transformation of sorts since then. And I've noticed that with your views getting more nuanced. Politically speaking, how do you identify yourself these days? I, I would say I'm... Definitely right wing, mm -hmm. um, for and that's beyond what Americans consider to be right wing. They look at people like Mitch McConnell as right wing, and <laughs> yeah, um, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not that. I'm more in the uh, the classic, you know, hard right, mm -hmm. and you know what used to be the normal right back in the back in the 30s, the when America first, and when the hard right was anti war and anti intervention. Yeah, so that I would say, um, if I'm holding on to any kind of libertarianism, it's Hoppianism. I think Hans Hermann Hoppe is probably one of the most important thinkers alive. I think his ideas for private cities and private governance and private law are something that we at right wingers should be looking to strive for um, at the local level. Because when it comes right down to it, I don't know, I don't see anybody putting a dent. In the 202 area code, Washington, D.C., for a while, but I think that would have to be also planned out at the local level. And yeah, so right wing, hard right wing, hoppianism as far as libertarianism goes. And um, yeah, that's that's enough of labels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the right wing point is pretty important. And let me play devil's advocate here because I used to be also part of like the quote-unquote libertarian movement but you'll always hear that from some people in that space we're neither left nor right because these are like <laughs> two two sides of like the same like political coin blah 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 and they'll just say that we're like beyond this why do you think it's still important to pursue like right-wing values and strategies for people in this broader dissident space well, because leftism is all about egalitarianism, it's all about equality, and they just don't work in society. Some people are better than others, some people are more valuable to society than others, 
and left the left will have none of that. Those are qualities of the right. They're not qualities of the center either. What did um, Ludwig von Mises famously said? The middle of the road leads to socialism. I honestly believe that anything middle to to left is going to lead to socialism. Uh, the hard right is the only the only check on it. As far as I'm concerned, um, people like what Samuel T. Francis wrote about, what Paul Gottfried writes about, what Hans Hermann Hoppe writes about, the right keeps order. And the right is about structure. The right is about family. The right is about faith. These are all things that the left laughs at, actively seeks to destroy. And these are the only things historically that have kept man in order. And sure, you can make arguments, oh, well, there was a time when the church... the church was in charge of everything. And, you know, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. The 20th century saw more murders by their, by more murders of people by their own government. They even came up with a term called democide to talk about the 200 million, you know, plus people who were killed by their own governments in the 20th century after World War One and after World War Two, when we became liberal, you know, when we became classical liberals, when we went to democracy, it led to insane bloodshed and insane loss of life, loss of generations. Generations were stopped. Family names were stopped all in the name of progress. And when I look forward, I think the only way we get by is by looking back and seeing what worked. And nothing's going to be perfect ever. There is no utopia. That's just get that out of your minds. There's no... There's no Whig theory of history where everything is just getting better and better and better. No, we are going backwards. We have gone from the Enlightenment to the founding of this country to the Civil War to World War One and Two to Drag Queen Story Hour. Yeah. We're That's not actually going... One, yeah. That's actually one thing that people don't realize that history tends to have like a very cyclical nature. It's not linear per se, and progress is not baked into the cake. But yeah, continue. Yeah. So how did we get from the Enlightenment to the founding of this country, which many people consider to be you know, a, a great success, to Drag Queen Story Hour? Well, the founders came up with some ideas for liberty, and they basically wrote in the Constitution that you're going to have to actively, actively keep this liberty. And you know, the way I look at it is... is um, well, if someone wants to teach socialism, someone wants to teach communism, the only way they're teaching it is as a cautionary tale or as a, a spooky a, a spooky bedtime story. They're not teaching it as something that can work and something that will make us all equal or something that is is right. That stuff has to be stamped out. All of these things that lead to that led us up to where we are now, where you know, I'm when I was a kid, my kindergarten teachers were young single women. Or old ladies. Now there are gay male kindergarten teachers. I'm sorry. I mean, I grew up in a time when in New York City when gay people were out of the closet and you could talk to them and they were like, we just want to live our lives. We don't want to be around. They don't want to be around kids. You know, they were like, you know, give, let us have our own bars. Leave us alone. And now, 10 years after they get gay marriage, you have gay kindergarten teachers wanting to teach kids about how gay sex works. That's five and six-year-olds. Well... Talk about enlightening. Yeah, very very enlightening. You know, we've really on that path going up. And once you see that, once you understand how it happened, you really 
are looking for a reset. You're looking for a real great reset. Yeah, you know, you're not looking for. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. looking for. Yeah, you know, you're looking for a great, re, you know, reset of traditional values of why are we allowing these people? The real. Why are we allowing reset. these people? Yeah. Why, why are we allowing these people to teach kids? Much less, I mean, just be control politics. So there's something wrong if if less than if a percentage of your population if a low single percent and even fractional percent can control your politics there's something wrong and something needs to be changed and fast there's something and what what's wrong is there's something wrong with the system system needs to be broken it needs to be broken it needs to be re, um, needs to be removed and replaced and it needs to be replaced with sane people yeah actually one point you touched upon about the fact if you just give these people like an inch of space, they'll take the whole foot. It demonstrates the pitfalls of classical liberalism, liberal democracy, yada, yada, yada. Because for these people, they have this type of like fetish with perpetual discourse and perpetual debate um, with people that frankly, I want nothing to do with. I don't want to even give these people the time of day or much less a public forum. And, the, and I see one huge problem with the classical liberal structure is that you're effectively giving your enemies territory to where uh, they can operate in and grow and eventually metastasize into a really nasty movement. And that's that was like one of the reasons why I ultimately started like abandoning a lot of that stuff. And the funny thing is too, when this so-called like liberal democratic system is like stress tested, it just turns into like the most like incompetent like tyranny you will find possible. So, so much for the exceptional nature of that system. Now, were there any points during your conventional libertarian space phase, specifically, I'd say like prior to you interacting with the dissident right, that you started to doubt some of the precepts of libertarianism? The precepts would say the overall spirit of classical liberalism is live and let live and then i saw like in 2017 i remember there was a couple things there was james demore at google putting out that inner you know inner workplace memo saying that women aren't most women aren't inclined to a career in coding and then he like said, okay, and these are some ways that you can, we could possibly change that. Well, they didn't care about these are some ways they could possibly change that. They just needed to get rid of him. He needed to be canceled. And that one was interesting because I immediately wrote something at that point and I said, okay, these people are taking over the HR departments. I had already realized, you know, I had already known about the, um, gender studies and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, what jobs are they getting? And I just imagined to myself, they were going into HR. It was one, one of the ways that they would, they would insinuate themselves in. So I wrote about that and then watching Owen Benjamin get canceled and lose his career, lose his livelihood for saying that, um, somebody in Hollywood that he was familiar with was getting ready to transition his four-year-old son and start to pump him through, you know, with like hormone blockers and things at four years old. And Owen was just like, whoa, whoa, this is insane. We, we can't do this. And just watch the weight, you know, the, the hammer of this left ideology that, um, you know, you saw growing for years before that 
now starting to take power, now starting to gain power. And that was when I really started questioning things and, you know, a lot of my, like the libertarian kind of stuff where you're just putting out taxation is theft all over the place. Yeah, I started putting out, you know, questioning this kind of stuff and people like, hey, you know, people can do what they want to do. It's their kid. It's it's like, well, I mean, I, I understand there's a slippery slope here. But then fast forward to 2020 and um, COVID, and immediately it just became clear to me that libertarians did not have an answer because libertarians like to believe that they have all the answers. We have the answer for everything. It's, you know, it's, if you just do what we say, of course, a lot of the answers are absolutely out of the realm of possibility. Like, well, just eliminate the government, eliminate the military, eliminate public schooling. Okay, well, I mean... Great, great. So you're living in fantasy land. And you would think if you have all the answers, when a crisis happens and people see it's a crisis, they'd come running to you. Well, no. In 2020, when COVID started, they went running to the state and they said, you do something, help us. And they even took to mocking libertarians openly online, like saying, you know, a pandemic as such just as the nail in the coffin for libertarianism. Maybe it's not the nail in the coffin for libertarianism, but it goes to show that libertarian ideology, if you are not willing to implement it to gain power and to have the power to be willing to wield the power to make your ideology work in the real world, well, then you're just in fantasy land. You're just talking about, uh, talking, you're, you're just being right all the time. And I found out, I figured out, well, that's what libertarians like. Libertarians like to be right all the time. We like to be able to say, I told you so. Well, while we're saying, I told you so, all of our liberties are being taken away. And I immediately noticed that after, with COVID, it was going to be worse than after 9-11. You know, I was an adult when 9-11 happened. I watched how they brought all the agencies together and put them under like one umbrella and the Patriot Act and all these things that took away our freedom. You know, I've, I'm old enough that I flew on a plane when people were smoking on a plane. I'm old enough that I remember meeting people at the gate who were landing. They would walk off and I'd be standing right there. And all I had to do to get there was to walk through a metal detector. So I looked and I'm like, what are the libertarian answers? Well, there are some libertarian answers, but you're going to have to you're going to have to gain power. People aren't just going to come to you and say, "Solve this for me." No, you're going to have to gain power and for lack of a better term, impose it on them. Change it, just like every other political ideology in the history of mankind. And I've said this. I said what COVID taught us was 90, you know, most people are just going to go along to get along. Well, if you decide you want to like run a bunch of people in your um, for your local government and take over a town and then start privatizing the school, privatizing this, privatizing that. I think most people are just going to go along to get along, but you have to be willing to have, you have to be willing to do something in order to do that. And libertarians don't want, most libertarians don't want to do anything other than get online and say, see, I told you so. Well, while you're doing that, they're, you know, friggin' manufacturing the boxcars and it's, the, these people, these leftists, these ones who are promoting like drag queens to come in and talk to your children and will make fun of, will, you know, try to cancel you and get you fired from your job. If you complain about a gay male kindergarten teacher trying to teach gay sex to your kid, you're going to have to figure out a way to stop all that. And 
one way is by taking power, passing laws, and basically making things. You can't do that. You can't do that. But libertarians don't want to do that because they have an ideology of of peace and an ideology of of they think that it's in, you know political power is immoral. You can keep thinking that all you want, but you're not changing anything. You're not going to change anything. And basically, those people who want those kindergarten teachers there teaching your kids about gay sex, they will have no problem with you if you go against them and talk against them like they did in Virginia. And Joe Biden said that they were, or I don't remember who said it, but some government official said that they were domestic terrorists, basically. Well, (laughs) if you're not willing to fight that by taking power, which is legitimacy in the eyes of most... Then you know, enjoy the enjoy the ride because the ride is going to be really bumpy and um, you might not like it or you might just side with the enemy. Yeah, in my time working in like the political trenches, I have come across every now and then some libertarians, but not many. And I have picked up on a kind of loser mindset among these people where they really don't have much going for them. And I'm not even just talking about politically when it comes to like productive political activity, but also like finances, social life and all this stuff. Cause you mm. need to have that ultimately if you want to build like a robust political movement because politics is more than just like votes and all that. You actually have to have like a machine in place. There's a process you have to establish before you're getting into power. And yeah, I agree with the idea that if you're not willing to use power to benefit your constituencies, your tribal groups, whatever, you're you're just going to get subjugated by people that are much more energetic and more dedicated and not caught up with all these hang-ups of exercising power. You're dealing with predators here now in the present-day West. And another point, too, that I would stress with like people, and one reason why I've really abandoned a lot of libertarian priors is a lot of this stuff has not happened like spontaneously, like spontaneous order in terms of like certain hierarchies. Yes, there's like a natural tendency for hierarchies because you can't really get rid of that. There's always going to be a natural aristocracy. But if you want to have like a plan, whether it's a plan for statism, if a plan for liberty, you better have like an elite, you better have institutions and all that that are planning ahead. This stuff doesn't just happen on its own. And I think this passive mindset that a lot of libertarians have is pretty detrimental in general. And I also really liked your point about how people tend to get along because ultimately people want to go towards the strong horse to a paraphrase Osama bin Laden when it comes to politics. If you're able to win, I don't, it doesn't matter what your crazy ass ideology is or what like the intricacies of it. If you are able to win, whether it's like at a local level or whatever, people will naturally gravitate towards the person that's holding power. You see this also and even like smaller events, like the person at the that's at the podium giving the speech is going to com- naturally command more respect. These are basic like social dynamics that a lot of people in this space don't really get. And it is kind of sad to see a movement that actually does have some very valid critiques of our current system uh, just descend into a lot of this ideological hand wringing and just outright like naivete and stupidity when it comes to a political organization yeah i mean i don't i don't know how much more i can help them you know i'm trying to put as much information out there through my show about how politics really works and that you know there is no 
you're not going to vote your way out of this stuff. Sure. I honestly think at the local level, there are things that could be, um, that you could actually have great success at the local level. But while you're working at the local level, you still have to be looking at Leviathan in Washington, D.C. and figuring out how that's going to get dealt with. Is it going to fall apart on its own? Is it going to lose legitimacy in the eyes of people? Will they just, will they bankrupt themselves? Well, so yeah, I just, you have to have a plan. But you also, first, in before anything, you have to understand how politics works and how the government works. And you know, if you're just running, somebody who's running around just going, you know, we need to end the government. We need to end the ATF. We just need, the way to solve this problem is to just end this, end that, end this. Th- these are people who haven't, they don't know how things work. They're not serious people. They're not to be taken seriously. And, but they're very, very loud on social media. And that is the kind of, you know, when serious people who want to talk about serious change and want to talk about, you know, what the future would look like and how order you know, how we have order. A lot of people are going to, they ignore you because you're not bombastic and you're not acting like a retard on social media. And they go right to the retard. And they look at the retard who's going, the way you solve the problem of, of grooming kids, uh, grooming kindergarten teachers is you end public schools. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's a take, you know, that's, that's, that would solve the problem. Now, tell me how you do that. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's the punchline. Yep. Yeah, it's like, well, tell me how you do that. Yeah, and it's one of those things you're always waiting. You're just like, all right, you know, let me know, and you know, when you get to it, you know, let me know. But they don't. It's so it's very difficult because you know I used to have that thought too. I used to think that you know if we just can convince people of this, convince people of that, and it, the way I look at it is. People have heard the message of libertarianism and liberty, classical liberalism, and they've rejected it. You know, I don't care how good a salesman you have. I don't think there could have been any better salesman than Ron Paul in 2008 Mm -hmm. and 2012. And, you know, there were a lot of people that flocked to him, but the country at large rejected him. Okay, that should tell you something. Now, maybe, or not maybe, definitely, the... The culture has changed a lot, and I think a lot of the people on the right are more receptive to an anti-war, anti-intervention kind of message, and I think they really think that the government they have is not on their side and is actively their enemy, but what you would definitely have to look at is, what do you do about that? How do you, are you willing to talk to those people? Because, you know, a lot of people who call themselves libertarians, they don't even want to talk to those people. So, oh, they're beneath me. They're, they're, they're pro-war. They, they love the cops. And so I can't, I can't, do, I'd rather deal with the left. You know, the left, that wants to cho- the left that wants to chop your daughter's tits off if she's a tomboy. Yeah. You know, and chop your son's dick off if he plays with dolls. I mean, these aren't, these are disgusting people who yeah, should be sharing... Them. Yeah, these they shouldn't be sharing our air. Yeah. You don't you don't have a discussion with these people. You actively suppress these people. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you need power. The only the only discussion here is how we're going to suppress these people. That's the only debate that should really be had like honestly. And yeah, actually this is what a uh, paradox too with the obsession with the persuasion politics and the perpetual discourse trap that people fall into is that if you're actually able to get into power, you might actually convince much more people than 
let's say like getting into like these e-squabbles about like stupid topics and all of that. And that's like the funny part about all of this because there isn't really a, um, I've noticed a lot of these spots, uh, these spaces, there isn't really a concrete plan for these people to actually become like legitimate like influencers, whether it's like at the community level or in like a kind of like local or like state level capacity. And when you just have like people just kvetching online the entire time, it just looks like a loser movement in my opinion. Sure. And yeah, I talked to somebody who, um, somebody very smart, if I mentioned his name, you know who he was, uh, work, has worked at a big organization. And he told me that he went to like the Libertarian National Convention this year. And he said, well, you know, it was nice to see the Mises Caucus people there taking over because, you know, they're closer to real libertarianism than anything that the Libertarian Party has um, done in the last, you know, whatever you think of the Libertarian Party and what they've, who's been in control of them for decades, probably since they started. And he told me, he said, there were people there who you just would, you would cross the street to get away from. You would, mm -hmm. you would just, because like, so libertarianism is taken is, oh, just live and let live. As long as you're not violating somebody else's person or property, you can do whatever you want. Well, that attracts freaks and weirdos. Freaks yeah. and weirdos think that they can come in and they're just going to be accepted. And you know what? The libertarian party has done a really good job in the, in the 50 years of its existence of accepting these people of, you know, saying, Hey, you have a you know, you have a home here. Sure. All you want to do is smoke weed and, and, you know, and collect welfare or whatever. Sure. That's fine. But you know, you have a home here because, you know, when you're a tiny little group, you want as many people as possible. Problem is, is you don't need, you don't need these huge amounts of numbers to change things. You just need people who are dedicated and people yeah. who know what they're elite, doing. Actual elite, actual elite people. You know, I've talked, I'm very, lucky that I, I get to meet elite people that are not not like our the elites that are in charge now but like people who are an elite character and through basically gatekeeping and keeping certain people away from me you know i don't want there are certain people i just don't want around me and that's something that you know libertarianism hasn't done hopefully they're doing it now is saying hey you know we just can't have you here we're not going to be able to attract anyone here with you being there in a friggin' butterfly outfit, you know, wearing sandals <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and it's a guy. So, okay, well, I mean, I'm sorry. Also, you're not going to attract anybody when you have a whole movement within libertarianism that is about trans rights. Because most people are looking, whether, whether good or bad, let's just look at it from a real politic view without emotion people are looking at people see trans people now as the people who want to read books to their five-year-olds or teach their five-year-olds and you're a party who is like actually advocating for trans rights a you know a liber an ideology libertarianism that is all about negative rights and you're advocating for positive rights for less than one percent of the population and that percent that population is seen in the eyes of most people whether right or wrong as coming after their children that is some terrible terrible that's that's terrible from a str strategic standpoint and it's just terrible from an optic standpoint mm -hmm. they don't want to hear it. they they don't want to hear it because you know if you say that you're mean you're a nazi you're a fascist okay i'll accept all of them i'm still right you know, sorry yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, it's actually even um, doubly ironic because there are a lot of people that some of these libertarians pander to like on the left or at least like kind of like independent leaning like democrat voters that are also freaked out by that stuff but then like these bozos just drop the ball and try to pander to really like the elite cultural left by embracing these topics it's just like really tone deaf and these people just don't read the room well that like the trans right stuff is like it's a it, there's like a transpartisan hatred of it pun intended but yeah, there's like a total like hatred uh, among broad swaths of the population. Heck, I have friends on like the kind of like ostensive like anti-woke left that are like pretty class reductionist like leftists that are just freaked out by this stuff. But then like they always like will tell me they laugh at the LP whenever they're uh, it was like pushing like trans stuff and all that because these people, man, they accept a lot of like neoliberal classical liberal priors and that stuff really screws them up in the long term. And I think that I don't blame people in the libertarian movement that start looking to the dissident right and even like reactionary movements for insights because we're here in this present situation largely due to the embrace of a lot of like the flaws of like classical liberalism and a lot of other systems that have been like subverted from within. Because if your system is subverted like that, you sometimes have to question the very validity of it yeah i mean <laughs> classical liberalism is live and let live mm -hmm. basically it's we democracy it's what the founders you know, it's what the founders talked about but i mean i think i think what they believed was what they were promoting and what they were building would work but it would take people of high moral fiber and character well we yes. don't have that we don't have that anymore I, I don't know how to explain it i would explain that probably classical liberalism and it's live and let live attitude is probably is what what has led to us to where we are. It could be evolution as well. It could just be you know the general cycles of how civilization works. But you know the there's a line in the in the preamble to the Constitution that says um, we're going to secure the blessings of liberty for our posterity. Well, I mean secure is a word that is very strong right there. I mean they're saying you are going to actively have to do this. Well. When you basically have a, a government that becomes as big as this government has become, and I mean, it's been doing that for a very long time. I mean, we're not, this didn't happen recently, but you did see an escalation in the 20th century that's un, you know, unmistakable. But if you don't, if you're not there saying, well, this person over here is teaching this, and this does not go along with the blessings of liberty, this needs to be stopped. And if it's not stopped, it needs to be crushed. If you're not willing to do that, well, then you're going to have to accept the fact that you are where you are. You know, as much crap as I give the the left, I blame the right because they allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're scared, you know, it's like, wait a minute, I don't want you teaching my kids this. Oh, are you a fascist? No, I'm not a fascist. Oh, fuck that. Man, fuck you. You can call me whatever the fuck you want, but you're not teaching that to my kid. I mean, this is, how is this even how would you even back down to these people and these people have you have you seen these people the people that are ruling over us if you punched them in the chest they'd have a heart attack yeah they'd, they'd yeah. die on the spot yeah and that's who you allow <laughs> yeah and that's who you're allowing to rule over you 
And the right is like, they, you know, oh, we're going to get elected and we'll cut taxes here, cut taxes there. No, you get elected and you just build power to the point where you you could get away, you could do away with the IRS if you want, if that was yeah. what you wanted to do. But the, the, the right doesn't go after power. The left goes after power. You know, the right needs to learn from history and be like, okay, you've taken it too far. And that and that's the problem is, that's one of the problems is if you do not check these people all the way along, it gets to where it is now. And then someone comes along and the swing back to, you know, we're all the way to the left right now. The swing back to the right usually goes way far right and goes way far right than a lot of people you know would want to. But I think at this point, if it swang all the way back right, the people who are you know really worried about their kids growing up in this world are not going to argue. And mm. that means that that person, just like Joe Biden and this administration, I mean, I don't think Joe, you know, I, I'm not fooled and think that Joe Biden or Kamala Harris are calling the shots. But whoever is calling the shots, they think they can get away with anything. They feel they feel like they have a mandate to do anything. And, you know, to crash the economy, take plane trips to, to freaking Taiwan. I mean, just in complete insanity to basically try to start a war with China. And when people realize this, this is going to be fixed at some point, And it's going to be a swing all the way back to the right that people, a lot of people just won't, may not like. But it's so bad right now, they're going to be like, well, I mean, it's better than what it was. You know, so. Something beats nothing in politics. Like, that's just a cold, hard truth of the matter. And yeah, it's also, yeah, the concept of the political man, uh, that this is a, this is like politics 101. You, you have to have like clear battle lines between the friend, your friends and your enemies. If you're, if the right continues to give tax cuts to corporations that imports millions of alien uh, people with like from alien cultures and promotes woke agendas like you're owning yourself by doing that that's like this is classical liberalism like fail like example like 5000 to be honest because you see it all the time from the perpetual discourse trap to pursuing policies that reward institutions hostile to your cause that's like just a broader it's just like the broader like dynamic that you see of a, a very ineffectual acceptable right and that's why it's allowed to uh, why the establishment likes to keep that type of movement propped up because it's pretty much useless yeah and the problem with that too is it that kind of thinking seeps into the right and becomes part of the right so even through trump even through everything we're seeing right now there are still people on the right who are like well you know we just need to talk to these people you know i mean i love yeah <laughs> I love Larry Sharp. I think he's he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. But his idea that liberty is for these people too, that you know, that we, we share a country with these people, so we have to get along with them. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, not gonna I'm make sorry. It. Yeah, Larry's from New York. I'm from New York. We're both from I think we're both from the Bronx. I must have grew up in a different part of the Bronx than he did, because I want to shove their teeth these people's teeth down their throat. I want to beat them back until they can't fight back ever. Now, I want to basically cripple them, metaphorically, and so that they can't take power ever again. You know, and that could, all right, if that sounds fascist, I don't care. And these people are destroying us. I mean, they want to, you know, that when you start looking into like net zero carbon, it, carbon emissions and Great Reset and all of these things, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist like Alex Jones, but it sounds to me like genocide. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the even the fa- when they tried to do that Green New Deal thing that AOC had on her website like three years ago, I heard an interview with the founder of Greenpeace. Greenpeace is not a right wing organization. You know, Greenpeace comes from the left. They are environmentalists. I heard the founder the founder say that. If AOC's plan, as was written and as was on her website, was passed, it would probably kill a billion to two billion people. Why? I mean, I thought it's this plan to improve, the, you know, to save the environment. You would think the person, you know, the, the founder of Greenpeace would be like, well, that's, you know, that's my priority is to save the environment. No, he's like, this is insane. This isn't about saving the environment. Unless they their plan to save the environment is to kill you know, a quarter of the population on the planet. I mean, this is not conspiracy. The guy who found the Greenpeace is not a, a conspiracy theorist. He's, you know, he's a science. He's a numbers guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I how do you how do you have a conversation with these people? How do you have a conversation? It's also with- it's also pretty funny to like Sierra Club. Like people forget that it's in its history. It used to be like against mass migration and it's founding and because of the fact that if you just bring in tons of people that's going to put a lot of stress in the environment and also for a, a even more politically incorrect take especially from cultures where littering is pretty much the norm it's just going to make things worse and now that's just a completely changed because as you said and with regards to greenpeace and the green new deal the project these people are pushing for is civilizational destruction, like it really civilizational disappearance, where future historians likely in the CCP will be talking about the long lost tribes of the West. And that's why I don't want to share space with these people, because these people are playing for keeps. They want to destroy our culture in every facet, from like demographics to the monuments and artifacts that we see constantly removed on a daily basis. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the only way that we have order in this world is to have what I think is clan sizes, 150, maybe no more than 150, that are of the same culture. And racist. Yeah, what? No, I just said racist. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, of the same culture, and you know, I mean, I don't know. I think it. I don't think that has much to do with it. I think it just has to do with beliefs and values. You know, and there are people, I, you know, I know people of all different races who share the same values as I do. I mean, but I mean, I also don't have a problem with people who want to live with only people who um, look like them. I have no problem with that. I mean, why should I? How does that affect my life? You know, it, it doesn't. It's just a reaction that right wingers have, you know, been taught over the, you know, taught over the decades and, you know, maybe over a century that, you know, oh, it's it's racist. You know, it's like it's right to be you know, and then you see you, you mention a war on white people, and people are like, "Well, that doesn't exist." And it's like they openly talk about it. And they literally mm-hmm. openly talk about it on the news. Yeah. <laughs> how is that not? How does that not exist? You know, and you can go into the reasons why they want to have a war on white people. I think it's pretty obvious. But you know, I, I think that we we need to get back to we're going to have order again once we realize that culture matters. And you want to be around people who share your values and that these people who don't share your values and especially the ones that are looking for what looks like, you know, annihilation of full, of whole groups and swaths of people, something's going to have to be done with them. 
they cannot be allowed to be in one of those 150 groups unless it's with an electric fence around it. And that's the only electricity they have access to. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? I mean, these people do not, they literally want you dead. If you're a right winger, they want you dead. If you go to church, they want you dead. You know, if you're homeschooling your kid, they definitely want you dead. Why are you, why are you trying to negotiate with them? Yeah. Why are you even talking to them? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's part of like the political process that you only have so much time and resources that there are just like, frankly, more people, even like some groups like boomer conservatives that are just far more productive, like interacting with than a lot of these other people because they're, the other group is playing for keeps. They're, they're extremists in that regard. And there's like no sugarcoating that at this point. It's very naive to think otherwise. Now, when would you say that you started to really look at more dissident right content and make your transition towards that space? Um, I would say probably after January. January 6th was eye-opening. Mm. Yeah, January 6th was eye-opening. Then it was, you even through you know the summer of George, the summer of love, whatever anybody wants to call the, the murders and riots of 2020, you, know, you still had the hope of the election. That Donald Trump would get reelected. Well, they made sure that didn't happen. But after January 6th, it was obvious that they were going to target their political enemies and do everything they could to um, destroy them and destroy their lives. And that's when it's like, okay, well, <laughs> what are you going to do? You're gonna, you know, libertarianism says, well, you know, you, you, you can't do anything about it until they come for you. You know, it's like, okay, well, Sun Tzu wrote a book about that. Why that's a bad idea thousands of years ago you know yeah it's like you're on your you're on your heels you're fighting on your heels you're dead i mean he basically said that you know if you have to fight a war you've already lost so i don't know i just looked at libertarianism and i thought there's some great principles here private property freedom of association there's you know i think that to a certain extent the economics is good i think that i think that's economics that can only be seen and in a high trust society Yep. I don't see that economics right working, culture. you know, work in a right-wing culture. I don't see it working in a left-wing culture. I mean, they wouldn't want anything to do with it. But as far as a, like a, a full, fully fleshed out political ideology, I just see it as pacifism. And they'll say, well, you know, pacifism, you won't fight back. I'm like, you don't want to be fighting back. You want to win. You don't mm -hmm. win by being on the defensive. And then they pull out the one or two times that people on the defensive one, even if that's true, I mean, you know, most people who wrote the history books just try to make everything look romantic. So, um, but yeah, it was just realizing that your political enemies are not going to stop. And then the whole, then as last year wore on, you just saw more of the, um, the trans stuff and the, and the gay stuff and the kin, you know, you get a kindergarten stuff that that was going to be a, um, that was going to be a, a big thing that they were going to was going to be a big push and i mean i was just like well i mean i'm still going to hold on to some libertarian values but as, as far as a fully arching ideology with it you know they eschew power they say that power is immoral and that we need to destroy power well first of all you're not going to you're not going to do that that's retarded i mean you're literally talking like a child now and they have a governor candidate you know who's actually who's actually said that online the gubernatorial candidate and you know, I just think that I don't know. I don't think at this point that you can, on a national level, 
go um, have a top, you know, basically clear them all out and replace them and put your own people in there. But I think you can do it at the local level. And, you know, I think at the local level still, I think at the local level still, you're going to have people who are going to be like, no, no, I don't go along. I'm not going to go along with this. Well, offer to pay them to leave. If they don't want to leave, tax them at a higher rate. If they don't want to leave, Hoppe has the term physical removal. Yep. Just get rid of them. I'm sorry. They can't. Once you let leftism in the door, it metastasizes. I mean, it is lit- It is like the most advanced advanced form of cancer ever, where it just it grows, it grows, and grows really fast. So, I mean, I think that's the way. It's really the only way forward. Yep. I, yep. I agree wholeheartedly on that. And one point I wanted to segue to is you've really hammered home the concept of elite theory on your channel. Could you go into more detail about what elite theory entails and why it's so important for anyone on the right to grasp? Yeah, let's try and keep this as simple as possible. Popular movements do not produce change. You're not going to vote your way out of these things. You're not going to... I mean, look at Trump. Trump got elected. What He said he was going to drain the swamp. As far as I'm concerned, that means you're going to clear everybody out. Put your own people in there. He didn't do it. And people will say, well, they never got a chance. They accused him of being a Russian asset. Yes, they did. That's politics. He didn't know how to play politics. He screwed up. He didn't He didn't know what he was getting into. I, I'm fully convinced he didn't think he was going to get elected. And, you know, which is why there were so many offices that didn't go manned. I just think they weren't prepared for this. But still, you know, him getting in there as a populist candidate... He couldn't do anything. Well, theory is that basically elites run things. It's always it's always run by a small minority of people. And it's usually the people who are able to fund politicians, fund newspapers, get their own narrative out there. And when you see real change in society, it's because the elites who were in charge and who were controlling everything, another group of elites came in there and managed to push them out. Um, I think that clearly what you saw after the Civil War in the United States, and especially up to World War I, and then into the New Deal, was just watching these old elites who were in charge of everything get pushed out by new elites, and elites that were definitely not on our side. I don't even, I, I don't even consider them, yeah, I don't consider them to be even um, America first. I believe they're, they, owe, they have allegiance to other countries. And so basically what elite theory says is that unless you can raise up your own elites and get them into and get them to replace the ruling elites now, you're not going to have any real change. And it doesn't matter if your candidate gets 80 or 90 percent of the vote. It's just not going to change. It's not going to. I mean, how much have we seen change in our lifetime? Yeah, And something I've been really wondering about recently is so. Like, in my lifetime, politically, when have I ever gotten a win? When has a government actually done something that was like, all right, that is that is something that I would have liked to see happen? Like, never. Never. And recently, I mean, I would say in the last 15 years, you've seen signs of something. But definitely this year, with the with them looking back, looking at Dobbs and then overturning Roe v. Wade, which is something that I would have liked to see, and it go back to the states decentralization and also uh what was the um the gun the gun decision 
from the Supreme yeah, the Court. Yeah, Bruin decision. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That one, that goes in my favor too. So, in the span of in the span of basically a couple months of this year, two things have gone in my favor that I would have liked to see happen. You know, and then Heller was that 12, 13 years ago. You know yeah, that went that yeah. that went in that went in favor. You know, so it's like, but seeing it happen this year, it makes me wonder whether there are another whether a group of elites who don't like the elites that are in charge, who may have something in common with me, are rising up because I don't. That doesn't change on its own. I mean, look at this mm-hmm. Supreme Court. Just to give you an idea of the Supreme Court. Okay, so after twenty twenty, after the election, all these lawsuits were filed. They were all brought to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court refused to look at them. They didn't, it wasn't that they examined them and they said there's no merit here. They said, we are not looking at it. What does that tell you? It just tells you that the fix was in. And that was basically Trump's Supreme Court, and they wouldn't look at it. But something happened. It really makes me question, you know, how Roe v. Wade and, and the other one were overturned if elites didn't want it to happen and you know and also elites i mean you, you want to look at the people that trump put in into the supreme court that didn't happen without the help of elites he didn't do that in a vacuum there were people who were telling him who to put in there mm-hmm. so yep, federalist society yeah so elites you know elite theory is just basically that there is no democracy there is no populism you know, there is no, the majority rules. It's a small group of people, like it's always been since the beginning of time, rule over the masses because they're better funded, more well-organized, and they are interested in taking power. So that's, and that's not everything, but I think that's a good overview. Yeah, that, that point you raised about democracy as an illusion is pretty spot on because if we go back to like the 90s especially during um times when justin raimondo was very active especially in the immigration patriot scene you had prop 187 which in california that was overwhelmingly passed by the voters that would basically like restrict funding for illegal aliens of like public services and all of that and that was passed, but then it got struck down by a federal court because that's just like the nature of like the current system that we have of like the current judiciary that functions almost like a rabbinic council of elders that can just overrule like the uh, the so-called will of the people. We whenever the elites don't like their their otherwise democratic behavior, and people have to recognize this that. The, a lot of the democratic features we see in the government is, is merely cosmetic, especially against the backdrop of an administrative state or like a state where the executive branch has been rendered into like puppets, uh, to figurehead status. So people should be aware of that. And really, if you had like a proper movement, you would be trying to emulate or at least copy some of the best aspects of like a lot of these round table groups, these elite groups and create like a parallel institution because every legion of doom ultimately needs like its own like justice league to combat it. Cause you just can't do this like spontaneously and you're going to have to have like people that are like the, at the top of their game when it comes to this stuff, it's not going to happen on its own. No, 
No, you have to be organized. And that's one thing, even though you see in the Democrat Party, like, you know, the old guard, the Pelosi's and basically shutting out the squad on a lot of things. When it comes down to it, they are for the most important things. They're together. I mean, when it comes to elections, they're together. They're not going to say anything bad about it, unless they're running against the other person. But, um, you know, they're not going to they're not going to crap on their own people. And they are well organized. I mean, the the DNC is very well organized. Where the RNC, I just sometimes I think they're just happy to be there. It's yeah, like, hey, we're, we're happy to have a seat at the table, you know. And that's because they don't want to play the game as seriously as as the Democrats do. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things. It's like um, Pareto's foxes and and lions. You know, the the Democrats. You know, it's not a perfect analogy, but Democrats are foxes. They are. You know, they desire power. They um, they're wily, and then you have the lions, which are the conservatives, and they're very strong, but they're not as sly. And you you need some basically what the lions need now. The conservatives need they need some of that slyness. They need some people to come in and teach them how to win at this game. But they don't. It almost seems like they don't care because as soon as they get called the fascist, they're like, "I'm not a fascist." I'm yeah, not a fascist. Lion mode. Oh God! It's like who cares what they call you? Was that the worst thing in the world? Oh yeah. Well, uh, hey, they made it so that you know if you get called a Nazi, you're the worst thing in the world. How about you just don't care? How about you just don't care? I mean, wh- why do you care what somebody calls you? The liberals do not care what they what you call them. I mean, they're they're a little upset at the whole groomer thing, but I don't think they're really upset that being called groomers. I think they just realize that it's it's like it's powerful and that they can um but they know that that's going to pass. It's not going to do anything to take down all these things that you know calling them groomers or anything you, you see. The only people you you want to see somebody who knows how to take on the left? Ron DeSantis in Florida. Ron DeSantis yesterday put out basically had a, a George Soros funded DA who was in office he removed him from office by fiat. Sent the police if he didn't if the person wouldn't leave their office, and then already replaced him with somebody on DeSantis's side. Schmidt's friend enemy distinction. Mm-hmm. Get rid of your enemies, put your friends in there. That's politics. It's not going anywhere. And DeSantis is the only one. I mean, DeSantis basically. I don't know what DeSantis's end game is. You know, I know there there are certain alliances he have that has it really bother me. But what he's doing in Florida, you know, going after Disney and basically, I mean, Disney has been the most powerful lobby group in Florida for decades. He just basically defanged them and he's doing it on his own, you know, top down instead of Democratic, like an elite would do. Somebody who's just like, I don't I don't like this. I'm going to I'm going to take care of it my own. And I'm going to just use the power of my office. If you don't like it, I don't care. And he gets rid of this DA. It's, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like DeSantis has done more to push forward like liberty, individual liberty, or at least liberty for his people, his friends, more than any right-wing politician that I can remember. Oh, easily. Big time. I mean, I I mean... Just getting rid of those. Just getting rid of that Soros DA. My goodness. <laughs> um, 
Actually, this is this leads into another point I want to like stress. Regardless of what your opinion of DeSantis is, and I do have some doubts, especially if he goes to like the federal level, but if you want to be effective at politics, you better start hitting the books and start looking at real examples of political successes and be able to analyze that stuff and incorporate it into your game. Because this is also part of the loser mindset that you see a lot of people on the right, where they'll just like categorically say, oh, like I hate Ron DeSantis. I'm not gonna like study anything of like what he does. You want to like actually look at how like effective politicians operate and gather lessons from that. And I'd even say this to like certain elements of the left who to study that as well. But there are some people here that just don't want, they don't want to get into the game. They think it's like beneath them. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're just sowing the seeds for, uh, for your own destruction, man. Because you, you ultimately need to understand how to wield power and, and also look at like current events soberly so that you can, so that you can make your vision a reality. Because if not, you're just LARPing online and contributing nothing. Yeah. People are going to have to get out there and do something. Not everybody can get out there and do something. Not everybody yeah. wants to get out there and do something. But they can support people who are getting out there and doing something, even if it's only money. You know, a friend of mine asked, met Ron Paul a bunch of years ago and said, you know, I own my own business. I'm busy. You know, what can I do? You know, how can I help? And he said, well, I mean, what do you have? What do you have in abundance? What can you, you know, he's like, well, I have money. It's like, well, yep. give give money to give money to sources that you think are, you know, pushing forward the ideas of liberty. And he did. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to run for office, but you can support people who run for office or, you know, you can join a PAC or something like that. And I never thought that I'd be in, involved in a PAC and I'm on the board of a PAC now. And but, you know, we're looking to do things at the local level and just concentrating on the local level and not even state level, but local. And um yeah, you just have to get out there and do something and realize that it's going to have to be in the real world. You can read. I mean, I read a lot. Admittedly, I, I read a lot. But the stuff that I've read that has helped me to realize, you know, a lot of what I've read recently has helped me to realize that, you know, there's a real world out there that isn't running on theory. It's running on power. So power needs to be taken and you know, needs to be seized and used to build liberty. I mean, that is literally what happened in the Revolutionary War. It's how this country that everybody loves and a lot of people trace, you know, libertarianism back to the founding. It's, they did it by becoming revolutionaries. And I'm not saying, and I don't even think that would work today. I don't think violently, because who are you, who are you fighting? People talk about how, oh, we have such a centralized government. No, we have a decentralized government. I mean, tell me, who would you, if you were going to try to take, who would you take out to take down the government? There's, you can't do that. It's, it's impossible. I mean, we're just talking, you're, you're talking at your butt when you're talking about stuff like that. But at a local level, you can use politics and you can use political power and you can use force, which isn't violence. Force is different than violence to get your way to push forward your values and people who share your values will come to your aid, especially if you're putting a good message out there while you're doing stuff, while you're seeking to get people elected. If the message matches the values of the area that you live in, this is what leftists understand. I mean, leftists don't talk about, you know, 
cutting taxes when they run for office in New York City. They talk about raising taxes. They talk about more. They talk about more entitlements, things like that. But if, so if you're in a, a very small red area, you're going to take it over. The first thing you want to do is figure out what's most important to the people around you, and start talking about mm-hmm. that and start working on that. I mean, it's yep. it doesn't seem very difficult, but the problem is, is that when you're brought up through libertarianism, very few people actually want to do something like that. Very, they, like I like I said, started out talking. Uh, I started out with they're very happy to say I told you so while the world's burning around them. We need something else. 100% agreed. Now, before we close this out, what particular local projects, if you uh, if you wish to disclose them, are you involved in these days? Well, the one thing that I'm the one thing that I'm working on right now is Buck Johnson, who is the the host of the Counterflow podcast, a friend of mine, somebody that in real life we've spent time together numerous occasions. He is running for city council in Lockhart, Texas, and we are looking to get him elected so that we can start. We need a, you have to start somewhere. You have to, you know, you have to have your test case for, you know, what Hoppe called, you know, 10,000 Lichtensteins. Get him elected, maybe get other people, a couple other people elected, and look to start down the road of privatization, privatizing things locally, and also... We have something that a friend of mine, Andrew, goes by Popular Liberty. He has an anti-tax program, which um, is too much to go into right now. That would take another two hours. But basically, it's using the funds that are already on hand and investing them in places that actually make money instead of you know three percent in a in a fund that they're putting it in, and basically looking to make enough money that you can offset people's taxes locally. You can reduce their tax burden and also do other things with it. So that's something that we're working on. It's a test case with Buck. You know, Buck is a Buck is a, an assistant fire chief in in Lockhart, Texas. So he has he has a lot of gravitas locally. And get him elected. Get another couple people elected. There's uh, other people that we're working with around the country, and start working out from there. Just start growing out from there. Awesome stuff. And yeah, let's wind this down, Pete. So thank you so much for your time and blast away your content so my audience can follow your work. Sure. The Pete Quinone Show, you can find it for now anywhere on um, any platform, iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. I still have a YouTube channel, Pete Quinone Show. Uh, also have an Odyssey channel, The Pete Quinone Show. And then I get a lot of traction on my Substack. It's Pete, it's PeteSubstack.com two S's in there. And, um, I try to write there three days a week. Don't always try to, if I don't have something, you know, to write about, I'll at least try to find something that is of interest to people and post it there, whether it's a video, whether it's an article somewhere that somebody else wrote, um, just trying to keep people informed and, um, keep people moving forward. And, you know, it's easy to get discouraged and think, you know, the, there's no hope. I think there's all the hope in the world. We're just going to have to work for it. Great stuff, man. And to my audience, thank you for tuning in. And with that, El Nino has spoken.